When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of the Andy Campbell Football Show. This is episode number 70. show is available live on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter, Stroke Periscope, as well as uh, you can find the audio versions probably later tonight or tomorrow morning on your favourite podcast and radio platform, everywhere it can be found. Uh, we Ace Podcast Nation, also home to many great shows and series featuring top guests, expert analysts and more. Give us a follow on social media and uh, most importantly, subscribe to the YouTube channel. That is the most direct way to support the channel and the show. And you can also follow the show directly at, at AC Footy Show and that's on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. So um, just as we wait for the chat to fill up, i uh, got to... Say a big thank you to Black Diamond Sports, which is Black Diamond Sports is a global sports agency representing <laughs> sports stars from around the world. For more information, you can visit their social media pages as well as their brand new spanking website, which is beautiful. And uh, you can find the links to that in the description below, as well as the closing credits at the end of the show. And um, also, massive thank you to Darren Ralston and Bespoke Financial for sponsoring the show. We are uh, very grateful for their support and their help. And uh, here's a quick word from them also. My mummy and daddy have been talking about life insurance. It sounds like something to protect my brother and me, but I don't really understand. Then my auntie Louise told mummy about Bespoke Financial Teesside. She said they're a local company who helped her with her life insurance. Mummy got in touch and because they're based locally, a man called Darren was able to come to our house. He was really friendly. Darren stayed for a cup of tea and made it all really easy to understand. He said that life insurance will protect our home and family if anything bad were to happen. Like if mummy or daddy got sick, then we'd get enough money to take care of us and our house would be paid for so we wouldn't get taken away. After an hour, Darren said goodbye and mummy and daddy seemed a lot happier. Once it was all sorted, we could all relax and watch a film together as a family. I don't know why they didn't do it sooner. Yeah, we thank Bespoke Financial for sponsoring the show. Bespoke Financial specialise in life insurance, critical illness, income protection, mortgages and sports cover. And uh, I urge you all to check them out. They do some great stuff, and uh, including doing some services for the first person I'm going to introduce, who is my usual co-host, the goal collector, the fox in the box, still the, cap- uh, the captain, the king, the Millennium Stadium, the speed demon, Davy Jones' favourite son, 
goal machine of Middlesbrough over 40s, fresh off his loyalty <laughs> at the weekend. It is none other than Mr. Andy Campbell. Welcome, my friend. Good evening, Matt. Uh, really, really looking forward to this. Um, I'm, I'm sure I've just caught a link as well, because uh, I'm sure Darren, I'm sure Darren Ronson played for Darlington. Uh, if my memory serves me right, uh, yeah, I think James might be able to tell me that. I'm back, sure. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah. Um, no, really looking forward to it. Um, great to have a current player um, on the show. Uh, that's something that we've that we've worked hard on, Sai, haven't we? You know, that trying yeah, to get these current uh, current footballers on, and and this one um, more than most because of um, what's going to happen, as I say, in the near future um, with next season also, uh, etc. So, but we'll obviously get into that. But no, really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a good one, mate. Uh, so tonight's guest started his professional career at Darlington before playing for Newcastle, Hartlepool, Exeter, Forest, and of course, a legendary stint spanning so far over 650 appearances and 62 goals for Doncaster Rovers. It is none other than Mr. James Coppinger. Welcome, James. How are you, mate? Yeah, good to see you. I'm all right, mate. Uh, really looking forward to it. Yeah, great, great to have you on. Great to have you on, James. Um, one question I'll start with. Um, have you worked out how many games that you could get this season before you before whatever happens next season? Um, I think... I think have, you got, have you got a target? Yeah, I, I'm on 700 and something, so I want to get to over 800 career games. I want to get over 100 career goals. I think I'm on 93 career goals. Um, ah, so it'd be nice to... You don't have that by Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be nice to finish. It'd be nice to finish over 800 and over 100 goals. I should have had more goals, but um, yeah, it'd be nice to get over 100. Talking about goal side, James, um, I, I urge everybody, everyone who watches now, you know what I mean? If you've got another device, because uh, I don't want you switching off, um, go on and see James's goal against Man United's under 23s. It was an absolute corker. Uh, it, it was just, it was just picturesque. You know, obviously the, there must have been there must have been a half decent side. I'm guessing as well, cops. Yeah, they, I think they played Huddersfield the week before um, and they drew three all. I know, obviously, Quinton Fortune played at Doncaster, so I spoke to him before the game and they have they have high hopes for a lot of their players. I think they signed one of their lads for, for £8 million, um, from a French side and, like you say, if you're playing for Man United 23s, you're going to be a, a good player. Um, but we played really well, sort of two different teams, two separate halves, 3-0 uh, and 2-0. Um, and, yeah, we sort of... Um, it was the first sort of dry run COVID at, at the Keepmore, which was interesting as well. Yeah, good, good. Um, so, so you're uh, obviously being a being a Man United fan. You're not going to be happy with James, are you? <laughs> 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 I don't know where you get this rubbish from. You're listening to the people, the same people. Who Surely say, not. You hate, you hate Leeds, and I know. <laughs> I hate Liverpool. I admit it. I, I'm, I'm I, openly admit it, though. I do hate Leeds. I admit. I don't hate admit Liverpool. It. Don't know what you're on about. <laughs> <laughs> but um, straight away, just before we go into the Magnificent Seven, uh, Gaz says, uh, Cops the legend, he said, I always wanted him at West Ham. So, have you ever come close to signing for West Ham or is that just a pipe dream for Gaz? My father-in-law is a West Ham fan, actually. Um, and I scored at West Ham when we played them down there. Um, we drew one all. But I've never, never, ever, ever been close to signing for any London club, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, yeah, straight down, straight back at you, guys. Uh, yeah, basically, he didn't back. want him. Basically, he didn't want him, guys. <laughs> he would have, but stay yeah, up now. Prefer to stay up now. Uh, weather's better. Yeah. yeah, he hates West Ham like Andy hates Leeds. <laughs> so, um, 
Okay, so we'll start off with the Magnificent Seven. Magnificent Seven is seven quick-fire questions just to get to know you, James, get to know your tastes. Okay. James Coppinger, the Magnificent Seven. Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Doncaster or Exeter? <laughs> it's got to be Doncaster. <laughs> Do you know what though? Part of me wishes just, 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 just a part of me. A part, a part of me wishes he said Exeter. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I just troublemaker. Uh, <laughs> I think I think that's the mischievous part of me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Favorite TV show? Um, right now I'd say, would I lie to you with Lee Mack? And Rob Bryden, absolutely love it. Um, oh, nice. this, very different to what yeah. we've had. Love it. Yeah. Love that yeah. question. New, different, different every time. Uh, angriest teammate? Um, Andy Must Griffin. Must have been a few. Must have been a few. Andy, oh, Andy, Gr- Griffin. Andy Griffin. Oh, my God. I've seen... Uh, yeah, I have a fight with Lauren Robert at the training ground. Um, the angriest man you'll ever come across, but one of the nicest men off the pitch. Um, yeah. But always love the tackle. Yeah, did, did, did he? Did he came from Stoke City cops, didn't he? Is that the same lad he signed from? Yeah, he's from he's from Stoke. Yeah, yeah. And he, yeah. ironically, he played for Doncaster as well when we when we won the league. He was at he was part of that squad as well. Um, yeah, great lad, great lad. Yeah, top lad. Uh, best roommate, um, Billy Sharp. I'd have to go for um, the most sort of energetic. He'd be he'd be up in the morning doing diving headers across his bed. <laughs> um, absolutely loved it. Um, so yeah, Billy Sharp, most entertaining, I'd say. Top player as well, Cops one top top player, still is. Yeah, he's still way. doing it, isn't he? I, I've not come across anybody, but probably Alan Shearer on the same sort of love scoring a goal, just lives for scoring yeah. a goal, lives for that feeling of scoring a goal. Um, like yeah. I said, in the morning, sort of diving headers, running around in the morning, just couldn't wait to get on the pitch. So he still does, there. you know what? Golly. Yeah, he's going to say he's still doing it. Um, you mentioned uh, Alan Shearer there, so the next question is: uh, Alan Shearer or Wayne Rooney? Um, I'd have to go for Alan Shearer to be honest. Uh, just trying to, trying to a, trouble cause, trying to trouble cause here. <laughs> uh, just as a northern lad, sort of played with him, um, all-time Premier League top scorer. Um, yeah, just absolute legend, Newcastle legend. Can't dispute that. And, and, and I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of Manchester United either, so <laughs> I remember that. No, Sorry, sir. So, uh, so uh, there we go. And then the final question: the greatest Englishman who's ever lived. Wow, Doesn't have to be football related. Um, Just an unbelievable question, cops. An unbelievable question. I'd have to say Winston Churchill. Um, oh, there we go. There we go. Nothing gets better than, than winning a war, is there? So, um, yeah. Do you know what? That's the first ever time we've ever, we've, ever, we've had that answer as well. So it's uh, it's, it's a good <laughs> no answer. Way. It's one, it's one, no, I promise you. I promise <laughs> you. We haven't uh, we haven't always always had English people on, by the way, because the question is linked to the person of the country. So we've had Scottish people, Welsh people, um, people right. from other different countries. So, but the English people, you're the first person Englishman who's. Uh, what so, what does no, what do people normally say? What have you had? Uh, just people who's, who's uh, uh, well, we've, we've, had, we've had we've we've had John sportsmen, Charles, we've had John Joe Charles, Jacobson. yeah, we've had uh, yeah, footballers, sports people, Moore, just people who, yeah, just idols yeah. really. I'd say more idols than anything. Which right. thing is, it's it's everyone to their own, isn't it? When you're on yeah. the spot as well, it's like it's hard, such a broad question isn't it? that yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a lot of people just revert to football and what they know, yeah, 
but yeah, I like it. I like no, it. <laughs> so yeah, welcome to all the Doncaster fans, by the way, in the chats on the various platforms. Good, good to have you here. Um, so what we do next is we have any other business where we talk a couple of stories from around the world which are not necessarily related to our guest. Uh, before we do that, just I just want to say a um, little shout out to, to the people of Kafili, which is just around the corner from me, who has been announced in the last sort of half hour or not or so that they're going into full lockdown again, unfortunately. So uh, much love to them. I've got a lot of family and friends and I know there's a, a lot nice of viewers place. there as well. Yeah, nice place. It is, uh, but there's loads of content on Ace Podcast Nation which you can watch while you're at home. No shame. Um, okay, <laughs> any other business? Um, first and foremost, uh, we're going to have to talk about uh, the breaking news today that uh, youngsters, I suppose, but they're still grown men, uh, Fod- uh, Phil Foden and Mason Greenwood of the two Manchester clubs have been sent home from England duty, I think you'd mm-hmm. say, for yep. breaking the bubble. Uh, going to meet some Icelandic girls, which they met on Snapchat, from what I can gather. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin mm. with this, so I'm going to throw, no. it to throw it to you two experts first, and then I'll throw my two cents in after. Andy, you go. Um, listen, I'm, I'm going to start with um, being a footballer, first and foremost, is the best job and the most privileged job in the world, so... For, to jeopardise that and to jeopardise your reputation is one thing. To do it, to do it as a, as an Englishman away with your country for me is yeah, going to another level. Is absolutely ridiculous behaviour, and it's inexcusable for me. You've got um, a lad at Man United, Greenwood, who's been brought up um, a la Sir Alex Ferguson and with all the role models and with all the players, um, Ryan Giggs, etc. David Beckham. He's seen all those coming through. They've never ever done a, um, a d- done something of this magnitude or any kind of, uh, any kind of this in this serious manner. Um, and, and Phil, Phil, Phil Forden, um, he's probably got the most dynamic young manager in the world, um, in Guardiola. And I, I just feel as though, I would feel as though that they've massively let me down, you know, that, um, it'll take probably pres- good pressure off, um, someone like Harry Maguire, by the way, because, um, <laughs> Harry was, Harry's probably sat at home right now thinking, Oh, Thank they've took you. the pressure off me a little bit. However, I think they've just let the whole country down. They've certainly let themselves and the family down. And um, listen, I, I look at the figures as well. Both players were fined £1,360. That on its own is a, a ridiculous statement because it's absolutely ridiculous. Is that going to stop and do it again? No, it's not. Some of those protesters um, in the last couple of weeks in London got fined ten grand. Hmm. But you're telling me, like, look, I don't want to make it about money no. because it's not about that. But I think Mason Greenwood is on... 15 grand a week or something. Phil Foden was on more than that. It doesn't matter for me, Sai. If, if, if they were on £500 a week, I would find them 20 times that to stop them doing it again. There's got to be a deterrent. And what's a deterrent? You know what I mean? Well, the deterrent now is going to be um, not playing for the next couple of weeks. But uh, let's see. Let's see. Cops, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think COVID aside, I think um, it's a fantastic opportunity for both players. I just can't believe in this day and age there's still people are still doing that. Um, you know they've they've got a huge responsibility, and to sort of go and do what they've done. I think what the clubs have come out and said, and how they'll be punished, will um, probably put them off from doing it again. You know, probably the way the public will make them feel. Um, and it, I, I, and it, it, they are young, and they have got everything thrown at them, and they will learn from it. Um, but it is a silly mistake to make. I think in this day and age, I think 
there's so many people that could have advised them or should be advising them, mm. um, almost preventing them from doing this. Uh, I, on, I, I, can't, I generally on, can't believe it's happened, to be honest. On, the, on that one, Cops, because I, I hope you don't mind me putting you in, in, in a similar category to myself, uh, as in an age category, um, that... Football's evolved, hasn't it? You know that um, back in the day, and I'm and I'm on about what when I made my debut '96, um, which was a hell of a long time ago. That football was so different. There was a drinking culture, there was a, a party culture, there was a socialising culture, and football now. You know, what I mean, you've you've been you've you've seen it evolve massively, playing within and and, and over the over the over the centuries. And um, how different is it then now than than it was back then? I think it's mass. I had this conversation with my dad today, actually, um, just about that, about how it's changed. How so? We used to go out on a Tuesday night. Um, very rarely will any of the lads. Um, there might be one or two, but it used to be sort of fifty, sixty percent of the lads would go out. Um, and like I said previous, that I've been on away trips where people have been told not to go out, and they've gone out and. They've, they've lost their jobs, they've been sacked and it used to happen all the time and that's what I'm seeing in this day and age. It really, really surprises me that they've almost got to, that this has happened, especially away with, with a country, representing your country. It just doesn't, for me, it doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know whether there's more more to it or I think there's always more to it. But um, you, you mentioned there though, Cops, about, about, about when you knew a couple of lads who got the sack. Do you think now though clubs... Are scared to do that because Greenwood would go and walk into any team in the Premier League would demand yeah. X amount of money. And Foden would go into any probably any side in the world at the minute the way that he's playing technically. That the big boys of Europe would snap both of them yeah. up in seconds. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think it's a total different the level that 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 we were playing at, at the time. Um, it's a total different ball game. I think you're right. I think there's too much. It shouldn't matter though, should it? It shouldn't. It should. It shouldn't, but it does, and it always does. Um, I agree. Especially at that level, um, but yeah, I think I think it's disappointing from from both clubs' perspectives the um, the sort of the responsibility they have as young players. But again, they'll bounce back from it. They'll learn from it, hopefully. Um, and within sort of three four weeks, there'll be there'll be sort of some other news headline. So, you mentioned there, though, cops. You mentioned um, sorry. You mentioned uh, about uh, people like other other people, role models, and things who probably could have stopped them. Yes, the players shouldn't have done it, but will will players beat themselves up a little bit that, that they weren't aware, or if they were aware, they didn't stop it? Um, and I'm I probably talking Harry Kane's. Yeah, I was gonna, that was my question. The, the, the kind of the kind of elder statesman. Is it the, the captain's yeah. responsibility to manage the players like away from the manager? If you get what I mean, it's hard. It's hard to comment without knowing the individuals and the characters that are in that dressing room. And but there, there will be characters that. Obviously, I imagine will have will have sort of, and then again, you don't know whether they've gone behind the players' backs and whether nobody knew about it. So it's hard to comment. But you always feel like, as an older statesman, especially myself, um, in sort of my club, it's like you try and help the younger lads to an extent. But at the same time, you can't hold the hands all the time. Um, they've got to sort of learn for themselves. But it's not so much the players; it's I just don't. I just don't know how this has come about. Um, obviously, I don't know too much about it, but it just it's, again, it still amazes me that that, that goes on. I think so, the biggest um, thing for me, Sai, is 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 it, it wasn't um, Grealish. That, that's the, that was the biggest surprise of the day. You know what I mean? For me, that I just when it said England players in a in a in a scandal, you assumed it was going to be him. Oh, of course it did. I think every every single football fan in the world probably thought it was going to be him. So I'm going to just 
look at it from a slight or a little slightly different angle so i don't want to repeat the same stuff obviously i agree with everything which you both kind of just said um so a couple of things man city's statement was fantastic but it was also hilarious you could you know that when he gets back he is getting the dressing down of a lifetime from whether it's Guardiola or the chief executive, whoever it may be, it was uh, very sternly written. Man United's was a little bit more kind of general, but, um, you know, they deserve it. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you both, really, is if Harry Maguire, if you take out what happened with Harry Maguire, if Harry Maguire is there as Manchester United captain, someone who's obviously worked closely with Mason Greenwood, and they've both said in interviews that he's uh, Maguire's been advising him and, you know, helping him, as he's broken into the first team and dealing with the pressure. Do you think that makes a difference that if Harry Maguire's there to whether Mason Greenwood makes that decision to sneak out of the hotel? I'll, I'll jump on back on what Cops just said there, that, that, that yes, players, if they were aware, they're out of order. But I believe, and, and I, don't, I don't know the ins and outs like Cops has just said, that I think that this was done behind people's backs and it was done very sneakily and it was just those two people. And they've let themselves down, but they've let the rest of the group down as well. Because if other people were aware of it, and they haven't stopped them, I they're just as bad as the two who've gone out. Mm. So you know, what I mean, for me, I, I can't imagine that anyone else knows because that would come out as well. Yeah. Because you know well, what I mean, because other people would be involved in it. It's impossible. Danny, Murph, Danny Murphy said on Talksport that when he was on England duty uh, and they used to sneak out, they would basically give the doorman. Uh, I don't know how to put it. Like, basically, give them a wad of cash to sneak yeah. them out the back door, or you know, sneak them out basically, so yeah. they didn't get seen. Um, like to me, in the kind of bio dome bubbly type things which they're creating for these sporting events and and international duty and stuff, it boggles my mind how two players were able to sneak out. I because there's so much. I would imagine there is so many. Uh, steps to them going from their hotel room to getting out and about because for instance very quickly the guy like Danny obviously who does the MMA show has been to Dubai with the UFC they're not allowed out of their rooms they've got to stay in their rooms for seven days they have everything brought to them blah 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 you can have whatever you want that you're very well looked after if they wanted to sneak out when they're not supposed to they would have to do you know what I mean? There's a lot of steps to doing it. Yeah. It's not just a case of kind of looking outside your room, looking to see if there's anyone in the corridor and then walking out to the hotel. There's a lot of different personnel along the way. So, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Um, so moving on from that, but kind of still on the same subject. Um, and this one has irritated me, i got to be honest. Uh, the Czech Republic are being forced to play Scotland um, despite, I think... Only, I think, two players and a member of staff have been tested positive, I think it was. But that has meant that a large number of the initial, you know, the the original coaching staff and players have all had to go into quarantine. But the FIFA or UEFA have told them they have to play. So they've had to bring in a whole set of different backroom staff and a whole different squad. Now, is the Nations League that important? that we need to do that because I would imagine all these new people they brought in, they haven't been in a bubble, which is kind of the whole point, I thought. Um, Andy, what do you make of that, mate? Because I find that a bit confusing and a bit irritating. Well, 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big follower um, of uh, the U USA football, uh, MLS, and Nashville uh, had a similar issue. So Nashville had uh, a lot of players who um, who contracted COVID, um, and they got they didn't get kicked out of the MLS, but they were taken out of the MLS because yeah. of health reasons, and, and they weren't going to affect any other team, which is which is the right thing to do. So they were taken out of it, um, and they 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 played their games, friendly games, at the end of the season, so they didn't miss out, but they weren't involved in that. Um, in the in, in the chance to win uh, the playoffs and stuff, and that's in a major league. So this is a friendly. It's a friendly tournament. You know, well, apparently it's a friendly tournament. It's not a World Cup. It doesn't go anywhere for, for any other any other things. And for me, I think the bigger picture is. Um, I think we're missing the bigger picture. The bigger picture is health, um, and the health issue is just for me. It's getting forgotten about. Yes. Um, and at the same time. I just uh, I'm, I'm baffled by it all because what's important it's 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 a game even if it's a World Cup qualifier just play it on another day just just play it in another six months it doesn't matter you know what I mean they, 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 we're not we're not chasing football we're just starting the season Cops will know what well I don't I don't even know the story but there was a local league here uh, and. Um, I don't know if you heard the story. I won't name the team because I, 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 I don't want to obviously get any of the players in, in trouble. But there was a, it was a semi-professional league in here. And one of the teams, uh, two of the players contracted COVID. Um, so they weren't playing on Saturday. Um, and the league said that was fine. But I thought it was 14 days that you had to, um, that you had to obviously self-isolate. They've been told they have to play on Tuesday. They haven't got a big squad, so the players have to play. Have to play again. So I, I just don't. I just don't understand it for me. You know what I mean? You're making. You're forcing people play to play and force them into an into a position that they don't want to be in. So for me, it's, they're making a mockery of the whole thing. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just kind of. I don't think the nations league is so important that we need to kind of. No league's important. That that important. No, no. Just, no at the end of the day, it's, it's when it comes down to it, it's not the most important thing in the world. Um, very quickly before I get James's take on that, I just wanted to also say the other aspect to the Greenwood and Foden thing is because they broke the bubble, they lose the exemption which elite athletes get, where they don't have to isolate when they come back into the uh, country. So they've got to isolate for fourteen days now. Now I don't know offhand what the date is of the first club game. But I'd imagine it's quite close to that. Twelve. So they, to twelve. So they're going to miss. Well, there you go. They missed the first game then because they've got to isolate, which mm. you know, brings another aspect to it, doesn't it? Because mm. I can't imagine Guardiola and Solskjaer will be very happy with that. Um, okay, uh, James, what do you make of the Czech Republic situation and uh, Scotland, etc.? I, I just think you'd think common sense would prevail. You know, like Andy said, it just seems ridiculous that. With the uncertainty, everything, everything that's going on, um, that the sort of the health risks come last, um, and everything yeah. else put, gets put in front of it, it's just it just amazes me. Um, I just I, I think because people don't know what to do for the best, um, I think you'd always sort of again put people's health and safety at the forefront of everything. Um, nothing is more important than than people's well-being so it just again I can't understand why or who makes them sort of decisions it doesn't make sense to me cops as well outside that, that um, we, we, we've all the whole world self-isolated you know what I mean we haven't done anything for months and months and months football's been cancelled for months and months and months so why now is it that important that it's got to, it's got to take over life you know, that, but it almost but it life. almost feels like there's, there's different rules for different people and different sort of organisations and mm. um and, and I do get that it's something 
sort of an unprecedented situation and nobody really knows what to do and it's almost like different people are saying to do different things um but there needs to be i i think there needs to be some common sense when things like that happen don't get us started about organizations don't get us started about organizations <laughs> you and common sense no well, is, well i'm on about i'm on about an organization which is close to two uh two cops's um heart well not heart but probably club that obviously and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you the question. I, I don't expect a, a brutally honest answer, but I'd like your, your take on it. So obviously the season finished, not in the right manner, in my, in my opinion, for your club and a lot of other clubs uh, in the, in your league and the league below and the league below that. Um, but did you, did it end fairly for you and for your team? Um, I think, I think again, like when things happen, like what's happened, a one-off, um, again something that nobody expected. It's so difficult to sort of put it into perspective and it, no, you're never going to please everybody. Um, the likes of Sunderland, the likes of Peterborough in our league that missed out that were in there. Wickham went into third and then ended up getting promoted. Um, we, I think we were three, four points off with the game in hand. Um, I think it's a matter of just sort of sucking and see you, you, you are where you are and we've just got to go again this season. But um, it was frustrating. And I think the uncertainty was the hardest part, you know, sitting at home, not knowing what was happening sort of four or five weeks down the line, still not knowing what was happening and trying to, on being able to tick over, getting sent programs. You couldn't go out the house. Um, you had to do it by yourself. It was, it was really, really uncertain times, but it's good just to be back in the building, to be honest. That, 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 and, and that's obviously fantastic to get, to get that kind of insight because obviously we've had Joe Jacobson on last week. who so obviously, Ended up playing some games and uh, and competitive games, so that, and, and they were in the training ground to obviously work on certain things before they played Fleetwood in the semi final. But obviously, with yourselves that you were training, keeping yourself at peak fitness for long periods of time, and then all of a sudden just to be told that that's it, we don't need to train anymore. We'll see you in three, four, or five weeks, which must have been a must have been a nightmare. Yeah, and I think it, especially with being thirty nine, coming to the end of your contract. Um, although I've been there sixteen years. The uncertainty of the club losing money, the club being in a situation where they've had to get rid of one and two staff. Uh, we've lost a fitness coach, we've lost a physio, we've lost two members of staff. There's been redundancies made at the ground. It's been it's been horrendous for everybody. Um, so, for me personally, sat at home, I'm sort of dealing with um, working with the club in, in dealing with sort of 15% paid pay deductions from all the lads. So I have to make calls with all the lads. Um, it, it was really, really difficult. But at the same time, the club handled it really well. The lads handled it really well. And everyone associated with Doncaster Rovers, it's, it's almost like we're starting to sort of um, come back a little bit back to normality. Um, and the season starts obviously on Saturday, which I think everybody sort of can't wait for. Yeah. Um, and I know you wanted to just quickly touch on the... Um... The international games in pre-season. So go on, you give your uh, your view on that very quickly, mate, and then we'll move into into James. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm not I'm not a big fan of uh, of the timing of these games. You know, I, I know they've, they're put in a diary and they've and they've got to they've got to happen because they put these com- competitive games in place. But for me, they're, they're still friendly games. Do they need to happen the week before the start of the season? No, and I think players are voting with the well with the feet and not playing, and then still turning out for the clubs. Which makes a mockery of it for me, you know that there's nothing better um, to play for your country. However, I fully understand that the players who see 
which is more important, a friendly... Nations League or Premier your, League. Or your Premier League, you know. You've got a season starting in, what, less than a week? week. And... You know, I mean, you can't afford to. Uh, you know, what I mean, I, I look at the, I look at the, I look at, I, I watched uh, Ryan Giggs' interview the other day, and um, he said that he was going to make all these changes and rest, rest players, but he sees it as a big thing because obviously the, um, the FIFA rankings are based on 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 a big things, and Wales need to get in a better FIFA ranking to get better to get an easier qualifying stage, so he's got to play his best team. But if you're Cardiff City manager and you've just signed Kiefer Moore. You don't want him playing that, that that many kind of games before he's starting the season on Saturday. You know, you know he's a big player, signed for a lot of money. Same with Matthew James. Same with Gareth Bale. You know, what I mean, he's he's not played hardly any football. If he gets injured, any kind of move, he's going to be scuppered. So, I just find it a little bit um, pointless, really, that mm. um, that that putting this time in this this time of the season because I want to watch Wales, for example, and I want to see Gareth play, but Gareth Bale play a full game. I don't want to see him play forty five minutes and then come off because he's not fit enough. I want to see him play ninety minutes because he's the best player on the pitch because yeah. he is. So, what did you uh, what did you think of Nico Williams? A few people have mentioned him. Ah, uh, I, I thought he, I thought he should have scored in the first game. I'll be honest. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I watched both games. I thought he, I thought he had a I thought he had a very good game in the first game. He was he was unlucky not to score, but I think he should have scored. Um, I thought the second game um, I thought was a bit of a uh, a bit of a quieter affair. I, I, you could tell they played the game a few days before, uh, mm. but I was so pleased when he scored and. You can tell by people's celebrations how much it means to people, and you know, what I mean, that's just the first of many because he's a very talented footballer. Going to be a superstar. Isn't he? Um, but on that though, he needs to play. You know what I mean? Yes. So there's no point James in Cardiff. He needs to play regular <laughs> football, and and you know what I mean? And and, and cops will back me up. You know what I mean? You get to lads at a certain age, and he's at an age now. He's got the experience of playing a few games for Liverpool. He won the champion. I said he's won the Premier League. He's playing for his country, but he needs to play regular now. He needs to go and play 30, 40 games somewhere. If that's for Liverpool, great, but doubtful. He needs to go and play at the highest level he can. Well, Cardiff signed a fullback on loan from Liverpool today, um, and I kind of couldn't help but wonder. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being wishful thinking, but I would like to see Nico Williams down on loan with Cardiff. But uh, do you know much about Nico Williams, James? No, I just seen him play last season uh, briefly, and he looked really, really good. Obviously. A special talent, and you're right. I think he does need to play. I think he he sort of. It wouldn't surprise me if he got a move to a, a lower sort of champion uh, Premiership team, to be honest. Um, yeah. And played regular there, and yeah, I, I think he looks he looks really exciting. And, and like you say, Ryan Giggs spoke highly of him yesterday, which um, he doesn't he doesn't do um, if he doesn't think that the players got an opportunity or a chance. I think that's key, though, Sai. I think he does need to go and play at. The level which the club want him to, to to platform, you know, and for me, it's the Premier League because he's he's going to be going in the Premier League in the next yeah. one, two, three seasons. So he needs to get used to that Premier League environment, the way the games are. You know what I mean? The, the midweek cup games, for example. Though, you know I think what I mean? There's two players a lot of good. Like you look at Lingard and at the right club, though. Yeah, at the right yeah. club. And Cardiff is that right club, man. Let's be <laughs> love it, love it. <laughs> we don't, it's a good thing about this show, though. We're not biased, and at least <laughs> yeah. just, just because it's the, just because that's the right answer doesn't make it a bias answer. No, I was going to say Middlesbrough, but and then I no, thought twice about it. Not be <laughs> um, All right, I'm done with the rest of football. So uh, before we kind of touch on your career, James, I would like to know what is your earliest football memory, whether it be playing, watching, just the first time that you caught the football bug? 
Yeah, I think um, Essen Park in 1988, I've got um, a programme against Leicester and a picture with my dad um, at Essen Park. I obviously can't remember that, but um, that was sort of my my earliest memory. And then the 1990 World Cup, Italia 90, was absolutely, it got me hook, line and sinker. Uh, I remember watching it with my dad and obviously when Gaza got booked, like crying. Um, I, wanted, <laughs> I wanted Germany to win because Gaza couldn't play in the final. Yeah. Um, so I was absolutely devastated. And Stuart Pearce, people like that, Bobby Robson. Ironically, I, I obviously worked with both of them um, at Newcastle. But just, just it just, I, I fell in love with football. I had the the England kit, um, and I always go back to that the the Pavarotti song, Ness and Dorma. Yeah. Um, gets me, I've got goosebumps talking about it. It gets me. Um, so yeah, that that. So what would I be? Nine years old. So nine years old, I fell in love with football, and thirty years, thirty years on, I'm still still playing professional well, football. As we, which... uh, as we discovered just before we went live, James, me and you are the same age, exactly. <laughs> so if you look at these two pictures, uh, you know, me and me, me and James are the youth of the side. <laughs> Ridic- uh, Ridiculous. And, you look like his dad. You look like his dad. <laughs> and he's the grandfather. <laughs> One, one of one of you. I'm not going to. I'm not going to name names. But one of you. One of you has had a really, really bad paper on. Yeah. <laughs> I did have a tough paper on, to be fair. Yeah, only only because yours was up hill, though, cops. It was Hilly and Gisbra. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was his mate. That's what happens. <laughs> who was uh, who was your idol growing up, James? Um, I had a few to be like. To be honest, I think growing up, um, Gaza in Italian ninety, the way he played, the way he sort of just excited people. Um, I always had an eye for players like that. Um, but again, Stan Collymore, I used to watch Forrest as a kid. Um, Brian Clough and Desi Clough was a friend of my granddad's from from Middlesbrough. Um, so I always used to watch Nottingham Forest growing up. Um, not, I wouldn't say supported them, but I loved watching them, the way they played. Uh, Stuart Pearce, Ian Moore, Mark Crossley, Brian Roy. Um, yeah, I had some unbelievable players. Um, but Stan Collymore... And then Janino, so I, I became a season ticket holder at Middlesbrough in when this when the Riverside opened. I went to that first game and then was a season ticket holder in the South Stand. And Janino just absolutely changed my my outlook on football. He was a similar sort of player, similar sort of diminutive, small stature, and he just took it to a different level. He was he was unbelievable. He was worth the entrance fee alone just to watch him. And obviously, Andy played with him, and and he, he was mesmerising at times. I just I, every did, time I went and watched him, I just looked forward to going to see him. Did you take inspiration in cops that um, that someone could be that good and not be um, not be phased by anything that football threw at him with the size that he was? Hundred percent. I think I always looked at size because I would always I got rejected from a few football clubs for being too small. Um, so I would always look and think. Every time I went to watch Middlesbrough play, I always looked and thought I could do that. I never looked and was in awe of them. I always thought I, I, I think I can do that. And he was one of the reasons why he sort of inspired me. Sat there thinking, you know what? He inspired me to want to do it. Um, I used to go down the park in Gisborough everywhere I went. I took a ball, um, and I was always wanted to be Janino. Like I always wanted, you know. I had sort of an imaginative. Um, I don't know. He, he just. It was the first time ever I'd ever seen somebody like that 
who had that sort of ability to go past people. Um, I, don't think I, we, I, don't, I, I don't think as a Middlesbrough fan though that we were ever we were ever given the opportunity to idolise someone of that kind of stature. Um, you know what I mean? That we've all got our heroes from watching at Essen Park and at the Riverside and stuff. But the, when when that rumour that he was going to come and I'd seen him um, in the it, it was at some some tournament at, the, at Wembley, wasn't it? When he scored a free kick against England for Brazil, when Brian Robson was assistant manager at the Terry Venables and. And listen, like you say, I, I, I saw what he could do in training and I, and I was like, he's doing this against six foot four, 15, 16 stone players. He doesn't, he's not scared. He's not intimidated. He's, he's, got, he's just got natural ability. He's aggressive. He's fast. He's, 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 he's agile. He had the lot. And, and, and I've said this loads of times that the words of world's best players get sprung left, right and centre. You know, that, that, he's, that he's world class. He, no, he was world class and he could have gone into any... Any any top side, the Barcelona's, the Real Madrid's, the Inter Milan's, the AC Milan's of old, uh, and and not looked out of place because he was that good. But Middlesbrough got him yeah. somehow. Not really sure how. I know, I know it was unbelievable, and I think what got me with him is he just bounced up. You know, he was small, but whenever he went past somebody and got brought down, he straight back up. Very much like Messi does now. You know, it doesn't make the meal of it. Um, he had a great character about him. I think that everybody at Middlesbrough warmed to and sort of. Um, could relate to, and I think that's why he was so popular as well. Not just what he did on the pitch, but what he what he was like off the pitch. Um, so he was definitely my 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 biggest hero growing up, and he probably had the biggest effect on me as a player as well. Mm. One one iconic picture from Janina what always sticks with me um, is he's not faced by anybody. And there's a picture with him and Philip Albert where I think he was, yeah, getting that, that. Stick, he was getting some stick at St James's Park, and Philip Albert was like six foot seven or eight, wasn't he? And Janino's looking up at him and pointing his finger, and he just, it just, it's just an iconic picture from the Premier League, and just, just shows, just shows the man really, because you know, what I mean, I, I remember the game that straight away he wants to get back on the ball, and at the time Newcastle were head and shoulders above Middlesbrough, you know, what I mean, the players that they had under Keegan, so they were, they were far superior than what Middlesbrough could ever imagine and wherever, wherever they wanted to be, but Middlesbrough had the best player in the world at the time because he was, he was that good, he was yeah. that good, hundred percent. Um, so. When your where did you, how did your first chance, uh, sort of a, a, with academy football come about? Where were you sort of scouted, or how did your opportunity finally come? Yeah, so I never I never went to an academy. Um, I was at Middlesbrough School of Excellence for a bit, and again got told I was too small um, and that I could come and play, I could come and train and do all the training, but I wouldn't be able to play for them because I was too small. Um, I remember on the, going on, the, on the cops. How disres- how disrespectful is that? <laughs> like looking back, looking back now at the time, obviously you'll have been heartbroken and and gutted because you wanted to play for that football club. I'm guessing being a middle of a fan, but looking back now though, and and some of the players that you've seen played with, played against, size is just irrelevant, really. Well, again, ironically, I I played Middlesbrough in the youth cup at the Riverside and we beat them five nil, and I played for Newcastle and I scored. Um, and I've never been so motivated to play in a match in my life. <laughs> um, but I, I always had it with Middlesbrough. I don't know why. Again, sort of, I went to Blackpool, played Blackpool for Middlesbrough, and I stood on the sideline and um, I said to my dad, look, I'm not doing that again. Like, I never came on. And my dad went to see the coach and said, look, um, James won't be coming back to training. And he was like, what do you mean? He says, well, he's not, he's not going to travel and, and not play. He wants to play. And this guy couldn't believe that, I'd say that. He was like, well, people would give the right arm to come and be involved with Middlesbrough. And he was like, well, James doesn't want to do it. And my dad never pushed me or anything like that. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I played for Martin Juniors all the way up to 15. Uh, we were the best team in the area. We won everything. And we went on trips to Southport. We went all over. We were absolutely top draw. Loved every minute of it. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm still playing today. Like, I, I've always been involved in a team, a team sort of ethic. Um, I think when you're at an academy, it, it's it's you're in it for yourself. It's every man for themselves. You, you, you're trying to get that contract every single year um, for yourself. Whereas for me, I've always been a team player. I've always been that person that wants to, in, not inspire, but wants to affect the group, wants to help the group. Um, I've been at Don. I was at Martin for eight years, and I've been at Doncaster for seventeen years. Um, I almost like that sort of um, that fit. Um, so the last year, Martin, all my team went to School of Excellences, Man United, Middlesbrough, Nottingham Forest, Newcastle, Sunderland, and I didn't. I went and played with my, my mates in uh, Woodgarth in a League Two team. Um, so at sixteen, I was playing Sunder League for Woodgarth. And we played Darlington and I scored a hat-trick. Darlington Spray lads, I scored a hat-trick and the Darlington scout was there and he, he offered me a trial. I went on trial and they offered me a two-year YTS at Darlington, um, which I reluctantly snapped up. I mean, I never wanted to be a professional footballer. I never had any aspirations to be a professional footballer, but um, I enjoyed playing football. So I thought, you know what, I'll give it a try. Um well, one thing I will say, cops, about um, and and people who don't know, by the way, uh, Martin Juniors are, um, oh, in I, I'd say probably in certainly in the north, if not country-wise, they're one of the fam- most famous uh, junior football teams around because they've had um, they've had so many players who've, who've who've come through to be a professional football. It's, it's absolutely scary. You know what I mean? James played a couple of years younger than than I did. I played for them for. Um, oh, probably about ten years. Ben Gibson played for them. Um, oh, this, the, it's, it's endless. They do a they do an advert on social media and it, and, it, um, and it shows all the players and who they played for. Stewie Downing, um, and it's just it's it's the amount of players. They should be so 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 proud of themselves for for the kind of talent that they brought through because it it just started off with with one team. You know what I mean? There was um, it's um, Gary Sykes, obviously him and his dad Keith started it out and. Uh, and it's just amazing for where it is now, you know. I, mean, I, I I coach there as well to try and give something back, and it's just it's just a, a lovely, lovely place to for your children to go and play. And it's a, it's a, it's I, I had to give something back because they, they give so much to me. It's just an amazing place to platform my football. Yeah, I, I loved it. I loved it. Um, you mentioned there, James, about about Darlington. So obviously, um, you ended up going to Darlington. So how important was? Um, learning your trade, so to speak, um, at a professional football club and uh, and for your part of your football development? Yeah, I think for the first time ever, I was travelling in from Gisborough. Um, um, my best mate who I'd grown up with, Mark Robinson, who, who you know, um, he, he started out at Hartlepool and my cousin who played in the same Martin team, he started out at Middlesbrough. So between the three of us, we were all starting out our journeys in professional football and we would all travel in on the bus. So we'd all get the bus from Gisborough to Middlesbrough. Um, Greg would go to, to Middlesbrough, Mark would go to Hartlepool and I'd get the train to Darlington. So we'd run from the bus station to the train station. We'd get the train to Darlow. I'd run from Darlington train station to Feetham's and then I'd start sort of doing all the jobs that I do. And um, it was a really good grounding. I had an unbelievable youth team manager in Stuart Gibson. Um, really before his time used to sort of give me videos on different things used to tell me to 
to keep a book and this was in 1998 keep a book of all my opponents um and you know what in that six months because obviously i went to newcastle um i learned so much with him and just just sort of it's more life skills as well you know mm. i've been i've been in a bubble i've been brought up in gisborough i'd never really yeah. ventured outside of it um yeah. so for me it was like it was really exciting and it was tough but something that i really enjoyed um you mentioned there, you mentioned uh, life skills, um, you mentioned um, jobs and stuff. So um, I'm, a, I'm a massive advocate for it uh, and an advocate for uh, scholars who, who get paid obviously a little bit more than, than we did when, when we were YDSs. You know what I mean? I, I, uh, I'm, not, I'm open and honest and, uh, and tell everybody that, that I got paid £37.50 for my first year, £42.50 for my second year, and I was delighted with that. That £5 pay rise, by the way, made a, made a huge difference. Um, <laughs> but, but doing jobs, mate, I, I, I'm the same as you. That I used to get into training at like 8, half past 8, and, and make sure my, my pros boots, kit, everything was set out, you know what I mean, pristine, and, and then I would look after myself, and then I would uh, get the balls for the first team, and then I would train myself, and then I would come in, clean up, do other jobs, and it was just, it, you know, what I mean, I, I learned so much in a short space of time by doing that, and and and, yeah. and everything, everything, and the skills that I've got now. You know, what I mean, people will say that I don't clean up. I, I do clean up around the house, but <laughs> I learned everything that I got from that time. Yeah, we we were, it was unbelievable. We were painting the painting the grounds. We were um, mopping up. We'd have Stuart come down, and if there was dust anywhere, we'd do it again. Um, our our players boots that we had to be there was no mud allowed on the on the soles of the boots and there was like crevices and stuff and you could come check him if there was any bit of mud you'd throw him and you'd be starting again um it was it was relentless but like what you said it's almost it's standards isn't it it's it's setting them standards every single day in so many different ways um, bear in mind pe people might see this and listen to this and think and think this is this is the bullying and i don't see it as that i see this as is is character building and i see the same same thing Dave get doing the job to... properly, isn't it? Well, it is. Dave Geddes used to do the same thing. To do Dave something Ged... properly. At Essen Park, we had a, a cupboard and it was and it was locked and Dave Geddes had the only key for it and we did all our jobs and if one of the jobs wasn't done to the standard that he had at four or five o'clock on a Friday night, Friday afternoon, he would pour the contents of this, of this cupboard all over the floor and it would be dirty water from the week before, it would be cleaning products, you know what I mean, which we'd all have to muck in and do it again. But this was character building. It was standards of the highest order. You know what I mean? He had the high standards. He wanted to drill it in the walls. And, and for me, I saw it as a good thing. And, it's, and, and, and for me, and I've said it on here and I've said it before and I'll say it again, that was the happiest time in my football life. And if I, if I could go back to any time in my football life, it would go back to them because we had a laugh. We enjoyed football. Life wasn't as complicated as it is mm -hmm. currently. So it was, it was all fun and all good. I think I think you create characters, don't you? I think yeah. if it's done in the right way, and, and listen, there was things that that stepped over the mark back then. There was things that happened that that don't happen now um, for the right reasons. But at the same time, you can't take it all. You have to take bits out of it and go. That actually was really good for us, and that was yeah. really good for us as well. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of it is down to standards. It is about um, understanding that you have got a responsibility not just on the pitch. You have to set yeah. standards off the pitch. Be on time discipline, all these things that, that fall into being a professional footballer. Um, and, and I think it's huge. Um, but when I went to Newcastle, so I was 17, I got moved to Newcastle and then none of them did jobs when I went to Newcastle. So I'm at a League Two club, I go to a Premier League club and they're all sort of swanning about doing nothing. Um, so it was a total different mindset um, from where I, where I was to where I went. And yeah, I definitely think that 
Um, that did stand me in good stead, though. Well, so how did you find the tra- like- Yeah, I was just about to ask Sorry, the same question. So you just well, said that transition, like yeah, yeah. I what happened was I, I went on an England trial while I was playing for uh, Dalit and I was doing really well. England wanted me to go there. Um, I went to Lillyshaw and I roomed with Paul Koncheski, who has had a fantastic career. Obviously, went yeah. to Liverpool, Charlton, um, proper uh, Cockney lad, um, and me from Gisborough, not wanting to say hello to anybody. Really, sort of timid. Um, I went there and the first 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 day I almost got sort of cast aside. It was like the lads that are going to be in the team will play against the academies, the other lads will play against themselves. Um, so I ended up playing in this this other game. I scored a hat-trick and was was unbelievable. So then they ended up picking me um, and I ended up going to Poland. So I ended up representing my country, going to Warsaw while I was playing for Darlington. Um, so Newcastle obviously found this out, played against Newcastle a few times. And I remember one of the, the first team pros must have got wind of me, maybe he's moving to Newcastle. And he, he said it to me and, and I was like, he must be winding me up here. Um, so I never thought anything of it. It was Brian Atkinson, actually, who I did his boots. And then David Hodgson, the manager, called me into his office. And I was going up there. I remember we had porter cabins and I was walking up the stairs thinking, oh my God, what have I done here? Like I, I can't have painted the dressing rooms properly, or because <laughs> um, he was quite strict. So I got in yeah. his office and Hodgie, he was like, "Hodgie is strict." Yeah, yeah. Hodgie he got in his strict. office and he was like, um, "Your dad's, your dad's coming up." And I was like, "Oh my god!" He was like, "He's bringing, <laughs> he's bringing your suit, and you're going up to Newcastle to, to sign for Newcastle." This was deadline day, and I was 17, and I was like, <laughs> "What?" And he went, "He's coming up. He's picking you up now, and you're driving up. Um, you and Robbo, Paul Robinson, are going to sign for Newcastle." Um, so we drove up, deadline day, I signed a contract, 20 times worth what I was on. Uh, my mum and dad couldn't believe it, obviously. And yeah, I signed a three-year contract at Newcastle um, on deadline day. One day I was training with the YTs, the next day I was training with Kenny Daglish, Alan Shearer, uh, Stuart Pearce, John Barnes, Ian Rush, all these, Albert. It was unbelievable. It was it was something that, again, I'd never, never appreciated at the time and probably sort of, Never will really. I didn't. I didn't know uh, Robbo was part of the deal. I, was, I know Robbo really well. Uh, it was, it was yeah, one point eight million for for me and Robbo. Um, and yeah, I'd never actually played for Darlington's first team, so it was like it was unbelievable. Again, it was Nike sponsorships thrown at me literally as I walked through the door. Um, it was just it's a different world, isn't it? Going to a yeah. club like that, sort of we were in the boardroom, we got the lift the glass lift up to the top of St James's Park and looked down onto the pitch and it was like, Wow, this is Yeah, overnight. This is, yeah, exactly overnight yeah. and but nothing changed for me off the pitch. So still yeah. had the same mates, still doing the same things. Um but yeah, so I was how, at a Premier League how, club. How will how influential then? Because you just mentioned your dad there, so how how influential was uh, was dad in keeping your feet on the ground and, and advising you and helping you out around that kind of move? Because it's a obviously you're still a you're still his baby. You know what I mean? You're still a young lad. You know what I mean? You wanna yes, you wanna go and progress, and you and, and your and your life's changed overnight playing with these kind of players. But so how in, how influential was family? We I had this conversation with my dad today, um, and not because I'm coming on here, just because I'm doing other things, and this is has a huge part in in what I'm trying to do, helping other people. But my dad at the time was going through his own, he just divorced, my mum and dad had divorced um, and he was going through a lot of sort of things off, out of, in the background. Um, and if he said to me today, like I've never, I didn't know what to do for the best. Um, 
So it's the first time he'd experienced anything like this. We weren't, we weren't, we didn't have anybody in our circle that had ever experienced anything like this. So he was almost trusting the people who you shouldn't trust, you know, like agents and people within the football club and all the people that really just want to jump on you because you moved to a Premier League club, not because he's yeah. your son. Yeah. Um, so I speak about it all the time about how important it is to have the right people around you, um, whether it's mentors, agents, family members, people outside of your circle. Um, Have you ever had any bad experiences, James, with like agents and stuff? <laughs> um, yeah, we, all, we, we all have. We all, we all have. I, yeah, I, 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 no, I think I think everybody does get to that point. I think as soon as I signed for Newcastle, I had an agent in me in in my front room um, and he brought his blonde girlfriend who sat with him and it was like me, me and my dad were sat on the sofa thinking what is going on here like <laughs> like where what, where do what do you do like because we didn't know what to do we genuinely didn't know what to do was like for the best so we sort of again sort of just just making the best of it trying to do what we think's right um, mm. but you, le- you live and learn, and that's why, again, I go back to why it's so important that 23 years as a professional footballer, almost experiencing everything that there is to experience. That's why I'm so passionate about helping other people. But I think that's key, though, isn't it? You know what I mean? Because you get in the wrong crowd, you listen to the wrong advice, you, you go down the wrong avenue, then all of a sudden, before you know it, your career's finished and you've got regrets left, right and centre because you've... You've not listened to the people who count. You know what I mean. Your you, your close friends want the best for you, but they they, they won't jeopardise that. You know what I mean. Your family certainly certainly won't do that. And it's it's just it's a testament to you, and especially your family mate, that that how you've become the person you are. You know what I mean. From the um, obviously from the young lad that that, that that I always knew and grew up with to still playing you playing now is just is just absolutely fantastic, uh, which is great. Uh, but on top of that though, um, obviously you're signed for Newcastle. Obviously the big transfer fee between the two of you. Did you ever find out what the transfer fee was though for James Coppinger? <laughs> yeah, I was the one point seven, and Robbo was the hundred. You, you were the one point seven nine. You were the one point seven nine. He was nothing. To tell you, yeah, no, he'll, he'll like tell you. He'll, he'll tell you the opposite. Yeah, Robbo will tell um, you. Robbo will tell you two point five mil. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he was honestly. He was. He was a one-off. Um, yeah, he was lovely, lo- lovely lad. Yeah. Absolutely. If I've never met anybody with who was so self-assured and confident in himself, he was the he was yeah. the opposite of me at the time. Um, but deep down, he was a lovely lad, and yeah, it was, yeah. yeah, it was. It was a big step for both of us. You know what? We we both went on and, and played for Newcastle, although it'd be very brief. Um, but again, did you feel a pressure unbut- though, cops? Did you feel a pressure of a transfer fee? I didn't. I didn't feel a pressure of anything. I was just playing football. I said this again uh, recently that in an article for the Chronicle that the four years I was at Newcastle, I never once believed I should have been there. I always questioned in myself why, sort of, why these people. Um, sort of, why am I signing? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, and I think, like, I it was almost so, yeah. like, it was like, why, why have I been chosen? Like, yeah. why have the, cho- why have the chose me? Like, I was playing with players that were, were as good as me. So for four mm. years, I was constantly battling against myself. Um, but you do though, like, you doubt yourself though, don't you? Because I said, uh, I, I've said the same thing and I said it uh, on, on uh, was it Friday's show? You know what I mean? I, I, I was probably in the top, uh, the bottom two of ability-wise in my youth team. You know what I mean? I had some like Anthony Armourod, Andy Swalwell, um, Paul Connor. You know what I mean? These kind of players who were far greater than me as in ability-wise. But I had things, my attributes, my pace, my attitude, my desire, things that 
nobody else had. And I wanted to be a professional footballer more than the other nine. You know, I mean, that's how much I wanted to do. I wanted to play for my club. I wanted to play in the Premier League. I wanted to play at Ayrson Park. Didn't get the opportunity because of transition of a of a ground, but that was just circumstances. But when they, when they moved to Riverside, I wanted to do that, and I made sure that I'd, I'd walk over my own family members to do it in, in a certain way. You know, yeah. I was just I was so determined to do it, and it's the same thing. With what you've just said there, you know that yeah. But then you doubt yourself because you doubt yourself because it's just a natural thing to do because you you, you doubt yourself after a bad performance, after a good performance. Was it good enough? Was it? You spend a lot of time doubting yourself as a professional footballer. I think I think you do, and again, I go back to why I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm huge on mental performance, and it changed my life and my career, changing my outlook. And back then at Newcastle, I had none of it, so I was literally turning up to training, playing football which I loved, and going home and playing with my mates, and just eating the wrong things and doing the wrong things. I never had any professionalism. I had never had any sort of. I wasn't a strong enough character, and I look at Gary Colwell, Stevie Colwell. Aaron Hughes, all played for their countries, all had Premier League careers. Um, and I, I wanted to be them. So I wanted to work harder in the gym. I wanted to do more. But my, I, could, I, I never allowed myself to do that because I was too scared of all the people that were going, look at that, that busy whatever. And look at that lad. And look at, like, I can't believe he's doing that. Who does he think he is? Like, yeah. I didn't, I, I wasn't strong enough within myself to do, to make them conscious decisions. So... Again, when things changed for me at 21, when I started changing my thinking and developing sort of what I call a professional mindset, like that allowed me to gain that confidence and that belief and that understanding of what it actually is. Um, but at the time, I had none of it. So on that, on that then, so obviously we're going to go full circle because it just, it just seems like a perfect opportunity to not mention it. Um, you obviously started a company um, which obviously um, focuses on and it's called Pro Mindset. So tell people what it is. Tell people what's involved in it and, and how it helps other people as well as yourself. Yeah, it, it, it's basically based around developing a, a professional mindset. For me, like I just said there, in my four years at Newcastle, I never had any understanding of uh, what it was. I couldn't, I didn't really think about sort of um, what was going on. It was, it was, it was, it was almost like, um, a realisation that, that I was in control. I talk about um, how you think dictates how you feel, how you feel dictates how you act, and how you act determines your results. Um, and then when I, when I realised that and analysed everything that had happened to me before, um, it was unbelievable. Um, so I just started to change my thinking, started to develop different things, started to work with a mentor, started to work with different people. Um, like Subsequently, I've gone on to to play over 650 games, three promotions, cup finals, play at Wembley. But I've also done different things off the pitch as well. Um, so it, it's about trying to help and, and make people aware of what it is. And, and we're doing it every day. You know, you make decisions on how you feel every single day. And it's all about how to, it's all about understanding how to control your thinking to get the best, best possible result, if that makes sense. Yeah, cool. Oh, 100%. And I think, it's key, though, because you, you mentioned there that it wasn't available for you at Newcastle and that's one of the biggest clubs at the country at the time. You know what I mean? There wasn't anything like that at Middlesbrough. It was more, you know what I mean? It was more that you, you, you kept things to yourself. You were scared to talk to people about how you were feeling and what was going on, if that was good or bad. You know, they're, they're similar to you. That um, I remember that my mum and dad uh, got divorced uh, and I was, I was 17 and I was, I was going into training the next day. Uh, and, you know what I mean? So I was going through a lot and, you know what I mean? It was It was... 
it was do you speak to somebody do you not speak to somebody do you um do you show your your weakness so to speak because it that's what it felt like back then it, it felt like a weakness you know what I mean? Where now there's a lot of people who you can talk to about various things who've been through that kind of experience and and can help you and guide you along the way. Yeah, but it's not it's not just about that as well. I, I, like mental health and different things like that. Um, it's more about understanding how you can develop resilience, um, how you can develop sort of leadership, how you can develop um, professionalism. All these things. Like for me personally, I struggled to perform on a Saturday um, until I understood that you had two there's two parts of your mind one was conscious and one's unconscious um and that i started to get into an unconscious state every single i play every time every single time i played a game um but before before that i was conscious so i'd go on the pitch and i'd be affected by the fans i'd be affected by my teammates i'd be affected by anybody that said anything to me um but what i ended up doing is trusting myself trusting the things that i've been doing since i was eight years old on the football pitch I've scored goals. I scored a hat trick in the playoff semi final. I can't even remember scoring it. Um, and that's what I'm saying. It's almost like strategies and tools and different things that you can teach yourself to improve your performance. It's not just about sort of having things going on in the background. Um, it's about what you choose to do to improve your performance. And, and I think if you think about it, it's so difficult as a 16 year old leaving school, being thrust into the real wide world and also being thrust into the football environment. It's a double whammy for me. It's like, Go on then, sink or swim, because I don't feel like players and young kids get enough support. It's not it, they should they should I was be given ask that. Like, um, just sorry to interrupt you, James. I was just going to ask. No, the, it's all right. I was going to ask you both really about, um, like, don't most clubs have sports psychologists who would do this, like that sort of thing, or is that not like a something which every club would have maybe it would only be the top clubs i i'm not yeah no no you're, you're right i've been speaking to a lot of clubs throughout the summer um premier league clubs hmm. uh league one league two clubs and the lfe the league football education yeah. um about what i'm doing with pro mindset and a lot of them are doing it a lot of them aren't doing it a lot of them sort of tick boxes um yeah. and for me i won't name the club but it's at the forefront of everything that they do. One of the most sex successful clubs in the country. Mental performance and this sort of thing is at the forefront of everything that they do. And I was like, hallelujah. Like, mm. that is like music to my ears because it should yeah. be. Um, and it doesn't surprise me that they're the best club in the world or they're the best club in Europe or they're the best club um, in the country because... So it's Cardiff. <laughs> uh, I knew that was coming. Um, <laughs> Things when you set it up for him, you set it up. I know. Too I easy. I know set yeah. it up. Um, but but it just amazes me that I think in the next five ten years, sort of this will become apparent. But what what yeah. what what is really difficult um, is because mental performance and anything around psychology and mindset, you can't actually see it, so you can't measure it, and people find it so difficult to understand what it is and what it looks like. Um, and that's the problem that you have is nobody wants to, or nobody understands what it is. You know, if you go in the gym and you want to get bigger, you, you can see yourself getting bigger. If you want to go work on crossing or shooting or heading, you can actually see yourself getting better. You can actually see it, but to work on your mind, um, you can't actually see it. So in my opinion, my job, once I finish football, um, developing this is getting it across in the right way so that people understand how important it is day to day, you know, how you can change your thinking day to day, not just when something yeah. goes wrong, 
but how you can affect yourself every single day. You've got 16 to 18 months as a young kid to prove that you can get a professional contract. So why not give yourself the best opportunity by working on your mental sort of performance, your mental yeah. toughness, your resilience. Yeah. I hear it constantly from coaches and managers. It's the biggest component that people talk about is mentality. Um, but nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows yeah. how to work on it. And I'm, yeah. I'm almost saying, look, this is how you can do it. Um, so I've had a really good response and I'm working with clubs and players and it, it's been really, really eye-opening. Yeah. So when, when you guys were playing, sorry, quick, very quick. No, when you guys were younger players, like sort of starting out your career, like and James, you said, like you struggled with kind of believing in yourself. Um, what sort of support was there for you guys from that point of view, from a mental health point of view, from a, you know, just a mental, helping you with your mentality and, it, was it literally just the coaches who would have been available for you at that time, or was there other sort of support staff who would have been nothing, there to try and No, help nothing. Them? Again, I had this that's conversation. A problem, for academy, like young players, but, I think that's a real problem. But no, I wouldn't say nobody cares. It, it's, it's a cutthroat industry, and you mm. have to work it out yourself. It's sink or mm. swim, literally. And the amount of players that I've, I've seen with more ability than me, Andy will tell you, more ability than him, that have fallen by the wayside because they can't handle disappointment, they can't yeah. handle setbacks, they can't handle being told they're not good enough, they can't yeah. handle... Do you know what I mean? It, it just... It, it, it's sad. Um, and that's what I want to try and help with. Um, mm. But at the same time, I never struggled with, I never struggled with self-belief. I struggled with confidence. So I've always believed in myself. I've always believed that I'm as good as any single player that I play on the pitch with. But I never pushed myself forward. Um, whenever I went on trial, I'd sit in the background um, I never had the confidence to put myself forward in, in a position, probably fear of failure, really. Yeah, interesting that. Uh, we were, I was quite um, lucky to get a small insight in it before I left for Cardiff, but um, when Steve McLaren came into Middlesbrough, we brought in, or he brought in um, Bill Bezik, uh, and obviously Bill was a, uh, a psychologist and, 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 and has done really well within, within the sport and industry. And um, I don't think, well, I'll be honest, I, I didn't take it as seriously as I should have taken it. Uh, you know, as, you, as a young lad, you just think that someone's talking to you about um, red lights and green lights and, and, and things in you, <laughs> and you. And you don't take it as seriously as you do. You know, that, that, that was my response that, you know what I mean, stay in the red, I'll stay in the green, don't go in the red. And you're just thinking it's a bit of a game show or a bit of a statement. And when you're left and you, and you, and you go down the pub and you, and you talk about his lads, you start taking the mick out of him. And, and, and straight away, all the good work which has just been done has just been undone straight away. And I, you know what I mean? It's only when you get a little bit older and you and you think of times that you that you probably could have used that kind of focus. You know what I mean? That you you didn't take it seriously, so you lost the the kind of knowledge and understanding of um, of what you needed. But you know, I, I think there's a lot more. Uh, you know what I mean? Thanks to obviously the work that you're doing, um, I, I do think the PFA could be uh, a little bit um, uh, better. And uh, probably um, probably involve themselves more on the day to day basis, going into clubs, helping people out, being a being a person to talk to before it's too late. You know that we've obviously on the show. You know what I mean? Obviously, I lost a good friend of mine this year, uh, ex teammate of mine. And you know that I, I just think if people knew what was happening, or there was someone there to talk to, and we're now we're in twenty twenty. You know that the, 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 these these things do happen, but they should they shouldn't happen as much. And you know what I mean? If we can just reach out and help. Uh, one person, two people, ten people, you know what I mean? Then, then, then these, these people are going to be in a better mindset and a better position to move forward in life, not just in football, because it's current football, ex-footballers, footballers who've, who've been in the game and not in the game or wanting to be in the game and who aren't in the game. And You know what I mean? Like James just said there, it's a cutthroat industry. It can be or is the best job place in the world 
But you tell me, the, three days later, I'll tell you it's the worst worst place in the world or it's the worst job in the world because it's that different and that's after a, a good game, bad game, indifferent argument with a manager, with a player, with a fan. You know what I mean? Listen to the radio, read a newspaper. There's various things that can put you in that, into that mindset and uh, in, in that kind of mood, so to speak. But it, should, but it should become the norm. That's what I'm saying. Like when, when you talk about Bill Bezik and people, it wasn't, um, I hate using this word, but it wasn't cool to, to do that. It wasn't, it wasn't current. Like people would be like, Andy Campbell's doing this. <laughs> what an absolute idiot. Or yeah. why is he struggling? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have yeah. to do it. To, you don't have to do it yeah. just because you're struggling. Yeah. Like if I say to you, personal development, I call it. And I, I always go back to, I want to be the best person that I can be. I want to be the best footballer. I want to be the best husband, the best father, whatever it is. And it might sound over the top, and, it, and to a lot of people it is, but that's just the way I am. So how yeah. can I be that? How can I be that person? And I've I've almost gone out and found ways of doing it. Um, but it should become the norm. It should be. We don't even have to talk about it because everybody's yeah. doing it. But people yeah. are doing it. This is what amazes me. Like you go out of the football industry and you go into different industries, business, for example, and people are doing it. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's everybody's working on themselves. Everybody's working on personal development, um, self development. Um, it's just I think football is a little bit behind, but I genuinely think it will get there. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. It's behind um, other sports as well, isn't it? No, yeah, no, I agree. I agree totally. Um, obviously, losing losing a bit of time, so we're gonna we're gonna go gonna go back a little bit. Um, you mentioned uh, a hat trick in a in a playoff semi final. That was against Southend. You know what I mean? I've I've I been doing my research. Um, some of your highlights, are, uh, 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 Donny, by the way, are just out of this world. Unbelievable. Your first goal against Bristol City, your hat-trick against Southend United. Obviously, the playoff final uh, against Leeds United at Wembley, which we will touch on that in a minute, which is an unbelievable occasion, game, result. Um, promotions, obviously one in particular, which um, obviously we had Rob Jones on the, uh, on the show on Friday. Uh, and obviously, you know what I mean, there's the iconic and famous um, game at Brentford, which, you know what I mean, famous for him. Um, being a, um, a centre half, being involved within the penalty and and and, and saying various things to the lad who get the penalty away, but then it obviously had a, a bigger bigger impact on on you as a on you as a player and you as a lad and the games that you've played, the recognition um, that you've had from fans, peers, managers. You know what I mean? I, I read I read something that you've that you've played with something like two hundred and fifty plus players at, at Doncaster. That's just yeah. it's out it's outrageous. It's absolutely <laughs> outrageous. And you were one of them. <laughs> I was one of them. I was one of them. That's but it's outrageous. Game. It's outrageous. But it's just, it's just, it's just, just ridiculous. But um, let's go through the highlights then. So, do you remember much about your about your first ever goal against Bristol City? Yeah, it came it came after obviously I struggled to score um, for a while. Hence, what I've been, I did, been talking I did read about. that. I did read that. Yeah. But I didn't want to wear. No, again, it comes down to what I was talking about. Sort of, I struggled. I was the best player in training by a country mile every single day, and then come to a Saturday. I had sort of, I wouldn't say performance anxiety, but I was struggling to perform for so many different reasons. And then sort of started working on different things. Um, scored against Man City in um, the Carlin Cup when we beat Man City on penalties against David James. And then I think it was the, the game after that that I scored against Bristol City, a header. Um, and yeah, it was a massive relief. Header, but, header, header yeah. for a small, for a small man as well. That's... Glance, glancing header. I've scored a few headers. <laughs> I don't know how. Um, but yeah, it was it was it, again it was um, a weight off my shoulders and um, something that I do remember. That's one question I was going to ask. You know what I mean? After after going a, a period of time without a goal and and you're doing well in training and but it's just not working out in games or you're not getting that break. 
how 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 much relief did you feel after after that kind of moment? Yeah, and I watched it back the other day. Actually, I, they do have footage of it back then um, <laughs> in black and white. But, um, I was just about to say that, but then yeah. I, I'm, I'm killing myself. Then, I'm gonna... yeah. But um, yeah, every you could see everybody ran over to me and celebrated, and it was like you could see the relief in everybody else, not just me. Um, so it was, it was, it was a great weight off my shoulders. Um, but I'm not a goal scorer. I've never have been prolific. I never, I never get. I do get satisfaction out of scoring goals, don't get me wrong. Um, but I get just as much satisfaction out of, out of setting goals up and being that person that that plays my role within the team. I know I've talked about it before, but um, but it was good for me to to, to to score that goal. So on that on that on that then on that comment, so you you mentioned earlier on about 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 the ten role and you not, don't see yourself as a as a forward. So what do you What's your favourite position and what kind of player do you see yourself as or or have been? Or have you had to adapt your role a little bit over the years? Yeah, definitely. I was a, a right winger when I was at Martin, so I was an up-and-down winger. Um, then played front for Darlington, England, Newcastle, made my Premier League debut up front with Alan Shearer. Um, and then when I left Newcastle, I played. I went to Hartlepool twice on loan, played in midfield, then played on the wing for Exeter, played up front for Exeter. And then things started to change within football. It wasn't like a four-four-two. Um, we started to play like uh, a diamond. I was number ten. Then I played um, the right of a four-three-three, left of a four-three-three. Um, now I've been playing sort of in four-two-three-one, playing in behind the, the nine. Um, so there's so many different variations. But I almost and managers have given me the opportunity to sort of make the role myself you know mm. if we do play with with two wide i come in from the line um i do mix it up i have that sort of variation to my game but for me personally i think as as, as a player you have to be able to adapt adaptability is one of the biggest things you can't yeah. pigeon i don't think you can pigeonhole yourself into one position nowadays um especially in my sort of position you know as a as a front man it's like can you play in this can you play in that gone are the days when you're a winger and you just run up and down um, it's just changed totally. So you mentioned there about managers. So which I, I won't I won't put you on the spot and say which is the best and the worst. But which managers <laughs> given you which managers given you the most freedom to excel your talent? Um, Sean O'Driscoll at the time at, at Doncaster. We obviously won at Wembley. We won at the Millennium Stadium. Um, we had three seasons in the Championship, um, highest the clubs ever finished for well almost ever, and he was unbelievable. For me personally, structure which I like. Um, Darren Ferguson, unbelievable for me. Played me in a number ten. Um, built everybody sort of not built built the team around me, but I was a huge focal point in was getting promoted after getting relegated. Got in team of the season, um, player of the season, and it, I'd say that was down to him. Um, the what's way he played the, me. What's Darren Ferguson like, if you don't mind me asking, James? I've, uh, it, he's got a really good record. <laughs> at, you know, sort of Championship, League One. He's got a good reputation as well. Got a good yeah. reputation I, I well. love him. I love him. I think he's he's absolutely top draw. Um, a little bit diff, difficult time at Doncaster because we got relegated the first season. He came in sort of nine, ten games in, almost walked into a not a losing mentality, but a different difficult situation with the club in transition. Um, got us promoted first time of asking. Um, I would have liked him to stay, but at the same time. It is what it is. Keep keeping contact with him. Always asks how I'm doing. Every time I speak to him, he's 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 one of the best I've worked with. If I'm being honest, 
There's a question enough. Uh, Craig Sullivan says, which stadium is the best, Wembley or the Millennium Stadium? <laughs> it's a good question. I like it. Um, <laughs> for me, for me, it's Wembley just because of how iconic it is. I went to watch Middlesbrough play in the Zenith Data Systems Cup in, final. Yeah, I was cry, cry that day in Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, and then I watched them Zenith get beat, get beat for a while. <laughs> get beat what, against right? Chelsea. Do you know what, Tony Dorigo? I used to love Tony Dorigo, right? But from that day, that day alone, I can't stand the fella. Stand <laughs> yeah, and then I watched yeah, him get beat. Get beat, <laughs> get, get beat against Leicester at Wembley. Get beat against Chelsea at Wembley. Um, I yeah. watched Newcastle get beat against Man United at Wembley. Um, and then I let's, went and let's, let's, let's let's stop there. Do, do you think it's the club's fault, or do you think it's you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely me um, but for me Wembley like Millennium Stadium was the first time I'd experienced anything like that and it gave me the taste you know the season after we went to Wembley beat Leeds and for Doncaster Rovers to beat Leeds uh, United at Wembley wow it was it was unreal it was almost written in the stars I think what was the, what was the atmosphere like because I, I watched that game uh, and you know I mean I was I was I was obviously intrigued to watch it because I knew quite a lot of players on both sides of the pitch and uh, and it just looked, you know what I mean? It, it looked like everything was against you. You know what I mean? That everyone expected Leeds to win. There was a bigger club. There was, there was, I think they just turned up. I'm not, I'm not saying you, you fully deserve to win the game on, on the day. You know what I mean? But they, they just, I, I don't know. There was something about it where just every, every, the whole world just expected Leeds to win that playoff final. Yeah. yeah, and they did. They turned up. We went to look around the ground before, um, the day before. And we, we, we were supposed to go after Leeds and we bumped into each other. And as we were walking around the ground, they were laughing and joking. They were taking videos of everything. And it was like, you know, it was almost, we had a feel as a, as a group of players that they, these think they've won this. Yeah. Um, and it was almost as a, as a group, we had a real good togetherness and a real good bond. We missed out on the last day of the season in getting promoted. We, we should have beat Cheltenham and we got beat and we went into the playoffs. We obviously beat Southend and then I almost felt like we were going to win. You know, as being underdogs, it was like, they think they've won, and yeah. we, we, I think we've got this. And yeah, I think we, we deserve to win on the day as well. Yeah. So what, what was it like then? So obviously something that, that, that I'd always dreamed of as a, as a boy who was playing at Wembley. You know, there was a, a few disappointments in my, in my career that I didn't get an opportunity to do it. But walking up the Wembley steps, you know what I mean, is something which... Oh, wow. just, You know what I mean? It's just something that... that, that it's, it's that dream, isn't it? You know what I mean? That I was brought up on a... And with the FA Cup, you know what I mean? The FA Cup was, is a big part of my life as a fan, as a player. Still now love it, you know what I mean? But what was it like to, to, to do all that? I think, I think 70,000, 80,000 people there, sort of the atmosphere, the expectation, the whole sort of day, my, my, my family there. Um, again, like you said, it's something growing up, sort of watching cup finals there, seeing, seeing teams... Uh, walk out and you you're doing it yourself I, I genuinely don't think you appreciate it at the time especially I didn't um, looking back watching sort of the videos of us walking up getting the trophy uh, walking out the tunnel before the game I was so privileged to actually start the game and be involved to the point where you, you walk away as a winner I think a lot of people that play at Wembley and get beat it's just not the same yeah, and no, I totally, I totally agree, and I don't think you, I don't think you, you, you realise how how much of an impact you've made on a, a on a on an occasion, on a club, on a day, um, until you look back. I think you know what I mean. You'll probably, you'll probably look back in five years' time and 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 look at it, look back at it all and go, wow, 
you know what I mean, everything I've achieved, which is just amazing, you know what I mean, promotions, goals, this, that, and it's just, you know I mean, I, I find it that, yeah, that I probably didn't realise half the things that I did um, were as good as what they are until you probably retire or people tell you or other people tell you or people's people's tell you, and, you know what I mean, it's just amazing, it's just, it is just uh, the best thing in the world, but obviously we, I, I mentioned earlier on that we had, uh, obviously Rob Jones was on the show on Friday, and we had a good chat about, um, we had, we had a good chat about various players, and you, you mentioned one of them. You mentioned uh, Billy Sharp. Um, you know what I mean. He, he, and he mentioned uh, obviously David Cottrell. So, you know what I mean. As a as a football club, you've got Billy Sharp, you've got yourself, you've got DC, you've got people who. How, how can you how can you not achieve success when you've got those kind of players? You know, what I mean? looking crosses in, attacking, scoring goals. It's just it must be a dream. And how that club's evolved over the years since you've been there to see those kind of players mingling in at the same time. Yeah, and we weren't we weren't performance-wise, we were terrible. Um, we got beat 4-0 at MK Dons that season. And, and I'm not even lying to you. I walked off that pitch thinking, I don't want to play football ever again. It was the worst performance I've ever seen. But we had a group of players that knew how to win football matches. And when I see people talking about um, different things, about performances, about this, that and the other, it was like we went on, we had, a, we had, a, we had 11, 11 leaders, we had 11 winners in that team. Um, you go through the team and every single one of them has gone on or had a good career. Um, and I think we knew that, you know, to actually win the league above Bournemouth that season um, was unbelievable after getting relegated, obviously, the season before. Um, to bounce back at the first time of asking um, in the magnitude of, obviously, the Brentford game was just was unbelievable. So you, you, you mentioned that then. So obviously um, Rob was telling us, and, and, and you'll probably write me if I'm wrong here, but I think in 90 minutes you were you were you were promoted um, in second place behind Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, and then obviously a minute later, potentially you're going to be in the playoffs, which was going to be an absolute nightmare. And then a few minutes later on, you won the league, which is just. <laughs> Which was just, you know, what I mean, you could, you can't write things like that, can you? But like Rob, Rob talked us through it from from his point of view, and and obviously told us that he give, um, he give Jamie uh, McCoon, he, he give him, he give him an evil stare. He said he, he said oh he, he said God. he said some not very nice things, which out of frustration, which you know we've all been there, we've done, and but how how did you see it all? Because he, he told us a story about Billy Painter as well. That like Billy was Billy was that gutted and devastated. He was sat on the bench. So yeah, he was, sat, he was yeah. sat by the bench, yeah. So, but he's obviously the one who set your goal up. Yeah, yeah, the ball broke to him. Um, he was just sat on the sideline praying so that, that they talk us, talk us to the event and talk us to, in, in your opinion, how, how, how the, 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 the last few minutes unfolded. Um, yeah, it was, like, like Rob said, it was we, we, all we had to do was draw the game, which I think is always a tricky position to be. We'd, we'd managed the game really well. Um, we got right down in the 90th minute and Jamie McComb kicked, almost kicked somebody's head off and they got a penalty. Um, I'm stood on the halfway line thinking, I can't believe we've got another three weeks of this. Um, Travelling up and down from Middlesbrough in the Kia. We, we all drove up together. Um, like I, I, Honestly, the things that go, out, go through your head in the, in the space of sort of 10, 20 seconds is unbelievable. Um, Neil Sullivan was in goal at the time and... Well, did I fancy him? I just fancied this lad. I know there was some argy bargy. The guy, the guy that was taking the penalty, shouldn't have took the penalty. Um, he smashed it against the bar. All hell's broke loose, and the ball's sort of. I'm, I'm looking at the ball. The ball's kicked. I've turned my, turned my back, thinking it's gone out for a throw-in. And Billy Painter's come on the pitch from nowhere. Um, 
So I've just turned around and seen every single one of their players just fell to the floor, apart from one of their lads who, I know I'm not quick, but he was slow. So <laughs> I, I thought there's, there's a chance I can get it. I can get into the box here. So I just ran. You see me on the on the video, just running the full length of the pitch, hoping that, that Billy had square it to me. And ironically, again, sort of me and Billy have, have constantly fallen out at the training ground because he never never squares the ball. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm running thinking there's no way he's squaring this. Um, he runs, squares it and I score and then we go up as champions and it's absolutely, again, you couldn't write it. It's, no, no, it was no. one of the best ends of the season. Um, one thing ever. I did ask, one, one thing I did, I did ask Rob, but you'll probably have a, um, a better insight to it, that, that I said to him, was he surprised that um, the amount of, or the lack of defending by, by Brentford at that moment in time, you know, that, 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 that sent everybody forward? You know what I mean? Yeah. How did... How did you feel about yeah, that? Yeah, no, no, definitely. And, and again, I think it was just, we talk about sort of their thinking. They, they, you don't think you're going you're gonna to miss, do you? They're 100% thinking they're up. You know, yeah, all he's got to do, said, all he's got to do is Rob, stick it in the back of the net. Yeah, well, I said to Rob, I thought, are they are they all going forward in uh, in the expectation of he's scoring, we're all celebrating because we won the yeah, league or we're doing, you 100%. know, I think that, that kind of mentality. And unfortunately, it's backfired. And instead of still being promoted... You know what I mean, or, or or whatever. You know what I mean. Instead of having a chance to get promoted to try and go and get another goal, they found themselves in in right in a right mess. I think they knew as well that there was took like like say I threw my took my shirt off, threw it in the crowd. Um, everything got back to normal, and I didn't have a shirt, so I had to take one of the sub shirts, put it on. I think it was Kyle Bennett. I had Bennett on the back. I literally <laughs> walk up, walked onto the pitch, and the ref blew for full time. Michael Oliver blew for full time. So quality. whether they've had enough time or not is, is another question. Yeah, no quality. That's it's, it's amazing, and, and and what a career you've had. But obviously, I know we haven't got a long time, but we're gonna we're gonna go on uh, uh, questions for, which we've got from the live viewers, but. One question I want to I want to finish from us is is what does the future or where does the future lie for James Coppinger? So, are we going to see you one day as a manager, as a coach? Where where, where will we see Agent. you next when you do finally hang those <laughs> when you do finally hang the boots up? Because let's be honest, as um, you're hitting forty soon, the over forties is calling. I think, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll definitely be playing over forties. Um, I love playing football, um, so. Although I'll be retiring from professional football, I definitely think that there'll be some sort of somebody somewhere that'll want me um, and that I could sort of keep ticking over and keep sort of enjoying it. I do wake up every morning enjoying it. Um, but I, for now, I don't think I'll, I'll, I'll go into management. I don't think I'd be very surprised if I go into coaching, although I take both my kids' teams um, and really, really enjoy it. Um, but I've, I've got, obviously, other things. Kicks Academy sort of in red car in Middlesbrough, yeah. um, hopefully Gisborough soon, Stockton, um, trying to help young kids um, tell, develop. Tell people, tell people yeah, about that then, James, because uh, it's obviously it's all over social media. If you if you if you look at James on on uh, all platforms, especially LinkedIn, um, I know you took your kids or you went there the other day, didn't you? When yeah, uh, when you had a, had a Saturday off. Or yeah. yeah, my daughter goes in. Um, I just really like the franchise. It's based. There's 40 franchises across the country. Um, it's a family based sort of business and it's, it's just about having fun it's at, at two they start at two and go to six and it's just about kids coming trying to build that environment um where they can learn they can improve the parents get involved it's it's a really good feel and i was absolutely blown away at the weekend because i don't get down that often but i was blown away by the coaches um and what we've we're trying to create and we've created um so yeah red car middlesbrough gisborough and stockton hopefully 
um, soon, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, and, and on top of that, I've got other things going on. Business, I've been in sort of business for the last 18 months um, with sort of a company that I'm, I'm buying businesses and then with Pro Mindset that I've been going five years with, um, sort of helping players. Um, so there's a lot there's a lot going on and, and that's hence why one of the reasons why I'm going to retire at the end of the season. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. You know what? People talk about how good football is and uh, play for as long as you can. But for me personally, um, I feel like what I'm going to do next is going to be just as enjoyable. Well, I'll finish by saying yeah, absolute credit to what, to what, what, you, what you've decided to do because when it's taken away from you, I think sometimes, you know what I mean, it, it can leave a sour taste, but you're doing it in the right way. You're doing it on your terms. You're doing it at the time when you believe is right for yourself. For your, for your wife, for your family, you know what I mean? And and, it, and you're going to get the send-off uh, that you fully deserve. And I hope you get the send-off that you fully deserve. I fully hope that you, the crowds are back in and James Coppinger obviously has had a, a testimonial, but you get the send-off like a testimonial in terms of um, acknowledgement from people because there's not many people who, are, who have a, a, a career like you've had, but then spend so much time at one club, you know what I mean, that, that, that it's few and far between. No, I appreciate that. And you know what? It will be sad. Um, it's been my life for 17 years and it, it will be a sad day. I've been a professional footballer since I left school. You know what it feels like, Andy, to mm. to stop doing it. And it's yeah. not something that I'm thinking about right now, but it will be a no, sad don't. day when that happens. No. <laughs> yeah, no, don't, honestly, don't, because it's... it's, yeah. it's you know what I mean? You enjoy what enjoy what you've got, what you're doing, and then because yeah. things are you're a long time retired. There's a, there's a lot going on in your life, which is great: kids, family, business, yeah. uh, other stuff. But you know what I mean? Enjoy this while it is, because you know what I mean. You you, you got to save every moment, haven't you? And if you can if you can get some su- success at the back of it and finish on a real high, imagine yeah. imagine that, that that ultimate dream, ultimate dream. Yeah. Ultimate no, dream. I appreciate that, and, and I appreciate you having me on, and it's been it's been really enjoyable. I've loved it. Okay, so let's uh, let's finish with a couple of questions from the live chat, which have been stored up. So, uh, first of all, James F wants to know what is James Coppinger's favourite fruit. It's <laughs> a random question. <laughs> no, I was speaking to my son about this. Um, a banana. <laughs> Why? Why? As simple as that. Um, potassium. Um, I it's big, in, big in sport, though, isn't it? It's big in sport. It's, it's well, a, I just. It's... I, I've always loved banana with everything. Um, I have dry banana, um, carbohydrates. Um, but yeah, I, I am a sort of a big advocate for bananas. I don't know why. And, and I don't think my kids are that fond of them, to be honest. So I get them all. <laughs> I think it's time you get a banana sponsorship deal. Yeah, so do I, it should yeah. be an orange. It should be an orange for Team Orange. <laughs> it should be. I, I, yeah. I, I was expecting that. Uh, James Costley says, one. "What was it like playing at Ninian Park as an opposition player?" Um, yeah, class. Um, always sort of hostile. Um, it was tough because we played at Ninian Park. Um, when when did the move? Oof. Top my head. Um, when did I leave? Two thousand six. I left. So yeah, two thousand seven, eight. So I played at both. Played at both stadiums, and um, Craig Bellamy actually. We played when he came back, um, and I think rough, he scored. Yeah. I, I think he scored against us. Um, I might have been a free kick. I think I've seen but, that yeah. goal. By the way, it was a great goal as well. Yeah, yeah, and obviously it was always tough against Cardiff. Um, they had some good players and they're always up there. Um, Wits obviously played as well, who, who 
yeah, it was it was sad. Obviously, last year or this year that that that, that happened. But um, yeah, it was it was always tough going there, and you knew you were in for a in for a fight. Mm. You've made loads uh, of friends now, by the way, saying all that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, Richie said, uh, does James have a favourite stadium or ground apart from uh, Wembley or the team's home grounds that he's played for? Um, we played we played at the Emirates against Arsenal in the Carabao Cup a couple of seasons ago, and that was unreal. Um, so the way that, that, that ground has been designed and the sort of sort of what it offers. Um, it was very much like Wembley and, and the Millennium Stadium in, in how big it was. Um, and it was it was an unbelievable atmosphere on the night. We got beat 1-0, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed playing there. Part of me wanted you to say Featham's for a little bit there, because Featham's <laughs> Yeah, Victoria Park as well. That was always uh, windy. Yeah, very, very. Uh, James F says, what's your opinions on Sadler's move to Rotherham? Um, yeah, it's a little sour taste, obviously been rivals, but, um, Sads did unbelievable last year. Uh, he was again, sort of one of these players that had sort of ummed and ahed and sort of huffed and puffed, but he, he had a real opportunity last year to play consistently well. Um, he was playing sort of week in, week out and he, he took the opportunity. He sort of, um, I think he ended up our top goal scorer, so sort of. Deserved his move to to a championship club. Yes, I think so. Um, just double checking. I think there was a question right at the start, which I missed, and uh, they repeated it. So yeah, um, James, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Yeah. I really appreciate uh, your Huge. time. And, yeah. Uh, it's just it's been a very enjoyable show, and mm. uh, the feedback's been good so far. The, uh, the audio version will be out tomorrow morning, so keep an eye out for that. Give it a share, guys, as well, if you could. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash acepodcastnation. Don't forget to check out uh, Black Diamond Sports' new website, obviously a global sports agency who represent sports stars around the world. Uh, and we thank them for supporting the show, as well as Bespoke Financial for sponsoring the Andy Campbell football show as well as the Andy Campbell Championship show which returns on Friday it makes its triumphant return as the championship is back yeah so uh, happy days 7 yeah. o'clock Friday finally finally we will be talking as much championship football as we can in one hour plus Fergie time uh, it's always <laughs> a good time and uh, three hours then yeah no no we've been good we've been pretty good like, I, I say we've been good my my wife does not agree that we've been good because it started off no. as forty five no. minutes, went to sixty minutes. Yeah. Now we're sixty minutes plus fifty time. I'm not, I'm, not Becky, <laughs> I'm not Becky's favorite person. <laughs> I just say it's Andy's idea. It was Andy's idea. I didn't want to do a show on a Friday. Andy, <laughs> Andy forced me. He said he'd stop doing the shows if we didn't do a Friday show. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, yeah, guys, subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, follow James on. Twitter and I like what is it? It's at Coppinger twenty six, was it or sixty six? Yeah, twenty six. Top my head, and uh, at AC Footy Show at Ace Cast underscore Nation. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in. Thank you for all the comments. Thank you, James. Thank you, Andy. It's a pleasure as always, and uh, we will see you Friday seven o'clock for Cheers, the championship cops. show. Thanks, lads. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Mummy and Daddy have been talking about life insurance. It sounds like something to protect my brother and me but I don't really understand. 
Then my Auntie Louise told Mummy about Bespoke Financial Teesside. She said they're a local company who helped her with her life insurance. Mummy got in touch and because they're based locally, a man called Darren was able to come to our house. He was really friendly. Darren stayed for a cup of tea and made it all really easy to understand. He said that life insurance will protect our home and family if anything bad were to happen. Like if Mummy or Daddy got sick, then we'd get enough money to take care of us and our house would be paid for so it wouldn't get taken away. After an hour, Darren said goodbye and Mummy and Daddy seemed a lot happier. Once it was all sorted, we could all relax and watch a film together as a family. I don't know why they didn't do it sooner. Podcast Network.